0: Hey friends, quick content warning for this episode, we'll be talking about Hector Berlioz in the Symphony Fantastique, and it is definitely a separate the art from the artist thing, and we will not be ignoring the things Hector Berlioz did though, and he was an awful dude, so this episode will have mentions of murder and suicide. Um, Hector also stalked a woman, which we'll be talking about in more detail than the other things, since it's actually pertinent for the context of the symphony. So if that's not something you're prepared to hear right now, just catch us next time. There'll be no hard feelings. Also, not a content warning, but we had some sound issues with this episode, so the sound is not the best. Mostly a violet sound, but it is listenable. It's not the usual that I shoot for, but we had some technical issues, and... It's still a really good episode, though, so it's worth it. But if you're cool with all of that, uh, have a nice time and enjoy. so dumbies. I'm brianne My pronouns are she/her. I am adhd and uh not to get political, but du fromage.
1: Hi, I'm Violet. My pronouns are she/her. I have ADHD and I thoroughly believe that tardigrades should be allowed to vote.
0: And our guest today is Sean. His pronouns are he/him. He is HD. And I've discovered that if I send him a file that says it's a script, he will say just about anything I put in a PDF document.
2: (laughs) Itchy, stinky, coochie.
0: Itchy, stinky, coochie. That's been one of my favorites.
1: Classic line. Classic Sean line.
0: Uh, Sean is the composer on our other show, Today's Lucky Winner. He is a band director and also just one of my oldest friends. He's a Uh,
1: cool guy.
2: That's debatable.
0: It's not. <laughs> you are a cool guy. So yes, Sean, tell us what you will be dumping about today.
2: Uh, today I will be dumping about the. What I think is the single most bizarre and interesting story of composition ever. Uh, the oh, composition and. I'm sorry.
1: Oh, I said oh, ham boning. Obviously,
2: it must be. Yes, the no the other the other one because you already know about that one.
1: Oh, oh, uh, oh got
2: it, the right. composition of Symphony Fantastique by uh, French composer, Hector Berlioz, uh, which has everything you could want in a story. Falling in love, danger, poison, French people, mm. incels. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's my top five. That's my top five right there. This is a, a musical or like uh, a,
2: like a this song? Is a, this is a symphony. Or... It's a single symphony. It's about 45 minutes long. I highly recommend anybody listen to it.
0: Yeah, I I googled it because I was like, I want to learn a little bit more about what Sean's talking about today. And I just saw the line, um, opium-filled debauchery, and I was like, oh, I don't want spoilers. I'm already (laughs) sold.
2: Yeah, opium-filled debauchery is a perfectly good tagline. And and it gets worse.
0: Yeah. Oh, my God. So...
1: Sean, I have some experience in musical stuff. I played an instrument for a number of years. Um, but I never was like involved in anything more than like marching band. What exactly is a symphony? How would you define that?
2: The definition of symphony has changed over the last 4 or 500 years. Um, so the answer is not as simple as it's a thing. Okay. It originated the the word's um the word sinfonia originated as another term for either the overture or the intermission the interact to an opera and it was just the instrumental fun stuff that happened before or in the middle or even at the end of the opera and at some point people started going you know i really don't give a shit about these italian people singing (laughs) but i do enjoy the music that they were playing at the beginning can we just have that and so composers started to write what would be now called overtures or very short symphonies, and they began to get longer and longer. And by the time of um, about 1750, 1750 is when we say the classical era begins. Around that time, the symphony has either has or is in the final stages of solidifying into a specific form. It's four movements. It's a fast movement, a slow movement, a fast movement, a slow movement. I'm sorry, a fast, slow, fast, fast. Uh, Pardon me. Each one has, <laughs> yeah, right. It's like your post coffee, pre lunch, uh, four o'clock, middle of the night, yeah. And then you're um, the
0: the one where you get all your crying out it for the day.
2: Right, that's usually the second one. Right, right, the second, right the second movement. Yeah. Um. Right for me, that's right in the middle of second period. Um. <laughs> around the early 1800s. Ludwig van Beethoven was probably not the first one to mess with the definition of a symphonic form, but he was certainly the biggest name to do so, and so we kind of credit him with it. Nowadays, a symphony is anything you call a symphony. <laughs> uh, it's kind of like what constitutes art? It's whatever the artist says is art. I'm a symphony. And that's not I don't mean that disparagingly. I, yeah, yeah, essentially, yeah. I don't mean that disparagingly. I'm going to tell you, when I was in composition classes in college, I saw in a book of non-traditional scores, the score to a piece called The Young Penis Symphony.
0: Oh my, I um, I believe I was, remember you sending this to me.
2: I, I told, yeah, I'm sure I told you when yeah. it happened. Um, the score is a series of instructions. It doesn't have notes or anything. The instructions are essentially... Ten men stand behind a sheet of butcher paper, naked and ellipsis ready. <laughs> the first man sticks his penis through the sheet of paper. <laughs> the second man sticks his penis through the sheet of paper, all the way through the tenth. That is the entire symphony, he said, with quotation marks. The, a symphony now is anything, any usually extended musical work, and that's it. Okay. Usually for orchestra, but that's not always true. Um, the first symphony I ever saw, the premiere of, was for wind band. So okay, so it's it's kind it of like Corleano's third. It's kind of like
1: the Esquire title. It it has like a, a an implied yes. an implied attention meaning. Like I'm trying to be fancy right absolutely. now. This is tra- implying fanciness. Okay,
2: cool. It absolutely um, it carries with it a certain gravitas, the same way as the Esquire title might. I actually. Um, I believe Esquire
1: just used to mean land owner, So,
2: Sure you know more More that, about it than I do um, So technically Because I know so nothing except how to spell it
0: Technically you and I could say that together we wrote a symphony Because there's There's a musical mm-hmm. episode of our other podcast oh. That Sean and I wrote
2: Yeah Yes we could uh, until Beethoven, it was considered always to be an instrumental work, and then Beethoven's Ninth came out, which is, in my opinion, the greatest piece of music ever written. Uh, and it finishes with a big old fucking choir. So that, um, I that don't, part of the definition I, is out the window.
0: Sean, I guess that means you have not heard Bega's Mambo Number no. Five.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I have heard. It. <laughs> Beethoven put in all of the monica. <laughs> not just a little bit. <laughs>
0: um. Okay, so now that I know that a symphony is a specific thing, and also could be dicks and paper. Um,
2: it couldn't in the 1800s, which I, I want to make that clear. If that had happened in 1800s, Hector Berlioz would not have lived another year. <laughs> he he would have been dragged to the street, uh, streets of Paris and shot.
0: All right, well, they did not appreciate things like puppetry of the penis back then.
2: Um...
1: <laughs> I know fine art when I hear it, and that is fine art.
0: <laughs> so yeah, now that I have an idea of what a symphony is and was back then, what makes symphony fantastique so uh, fantastic?
2: It is, so the title is fantastique in the sense of relating to fantasy. But what makes it so cool is—and I say cool, and I use it quite wrongly—what makes it so interesting is the story behind it, um, and that also involves Beethoven. Hector Berlioz is born in 1803, and when he is a teenager—this is a little bit of a nebulous date—when he's a teenager, the romantic era of music begins. The Romantic era of music is largely ushered in by Beethoven. He's not the only one by any stretch of the imagination, but essentially, their whole thing is let's get bigger emotions. Let's make things that feel like we feel, man. It's like a, a response to what... As, even bigger. Like emo. In the Backstreet
0: Like this is early, oh early, God. early like, emo.
2: Oh, okay. Very much like emo. In, in fact probably the first thing we could call emo music would have been german romanticism uh in the mid 1800s now now you oh, got, yeah.
0: now, and from now you got get, my fucking attention
2: yeah um, mein chemicalen romanzen yeah, this is <laughs> yeah uh, people like strauss and schubert and brahms are writing things that are not only more emotional but more Free in their form because life doesn't follow a script, and therefore, their logic is why should we follow these very specific forms? And of course, that's a very slow evolution. No one comes out in 1805 and goes, I wrote a piece and it's John Cage. (laughs) Um, but they do start playing with things and they get pushback. Uh, Of course, every art movement begins with someone having an idea and someone else going, That's stupid and some of the ideas were stupid because it has a lot to do with these emotions the romantic era lends itself to program music program music is any instrumental work specifically instrumental this one really is that has a story or paints a picture so a lot of box work the story was i'm getting paid on friday and i need to have a piece of music to get paid for i feel that a lot of the a lot of music Especially now, is it more in the vein of the film score where it tells a story without words, without pictures? Mm. Um, and Symphony of Fantastique might have been, it's difficult to say because, of course, people were writing that don't get remembered. Symphony of Fantastique might have been the first ever programmatic symphony. There were programmatic elements to Beethoven's Sixth, there were programmatic elements in some of Mozart's work, um, but. That's one of the things that makes this such a big deal is not only is it entirely programmatic, but Berlioz, as we'll talk about in a minute, wrote extensively about what it means. It wasn't just this should feel like mourning. It was this should feel like morning, August sixth, eighteen eighty five, and you should imagine the smell of bacon coming over the that wasn't actually it. He was dead by eighteen eighty five.
1: I love that. I, I think there's so often when I see art and stuff like that in like a museum. Um, like oftentimes I will be like searching, like, what does it mean? What is the point of it? Um, and I feel like word that you just said, I'm so sorry. Uh, program. program. Thank you. So in with a program, it is kind of prescriptive in like, this is, this is what you should feel. Which I think is really interesting from like an artistic perspective. Because most art forms try yes. not to do that for some reason.
2: Well, and the degree of prescriptivism is... It varies. Um, the program of Holst the Planets, which was my second choice to talk about, is essentially, this should sound like Mars. And the program to this is, there is a specific story. The program to Beethoven's Sixth is, there's a storm on the fields in the fourth movement. And that's all. So sometimes it really is a full-on story, like Peter and the Wolf. Peter and the Wolf is probably the best example of program music, because it really... it Like, it has a narrator, and it tells the story without the narrator.
0: So it's like, also... Proto concept album.
2: Absolutely, one hundred percent. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Um, I and, love that. Because and...
0: okay, not to connect, not to connect everything back to emo music and My Chemical Romance. But why wouldn't but, like? We? No, why wouldn't I? Right. But like the Black Parade, it's a good album. But then yeah. Gerard Way is like, this is the story of a cancer patient dying and meeting death, who has a rock band called the Black Parade, and takes it like, you would not know that unless you you know, went to seek out that information. But then when you have that information, it changes your perception of listening to the entire thing. How did people get that information back then? Because I don't think they had NME magazine <laughs> like I did. It
2: depends, on the, it depends on the composer. For example, Berlioz made it a part of the contract if you wanted to play his work that you would include his notes. Oh. Sometimes it would just be like the title. Um, the title of, I'm going back to Beethoven 6 because it's the easiest thing for me to remember off the top of my head. The title of the fourth movement of Beethoven's Sixth is the Storm. Oh, um, there you go.
0: Okay. That makes so sense.
2: sometimes it's just word of mouth, because uh, they absolutely did have the equivalent of enemy magazine at the time. Uh, remember that this is uh, this is specifically as Paris, which is like ninety percent baguettes, ten percent salons. Um, it's just like salons and gluten.
0: I like the salons. Uh, and I would like the gluten, but it doesn't agree with Well, yeah, And,
2: then, you and like, we can't forget. Not, you like living to have the next salon. There's also like an extra,
1: extra 10% cigarette smoke on and in everything, probably.
2: And another 25% endless revolution. And this symphony does actually happen um, right after the first French Revolution of the 1800s. So like only cool. the 20th French Revolution. It has <laughs> nothing to do with the revolution, except that it informs the culture in which it was produced both positively and negatively kind of like how we um, talk about like yeah. pre
1: pre 9/11 and post 9/11 country music precisely or just music in general really
2: music in general yeah berlioz is about 22 23 and he enrolls he gets he gets to enroll in the paris conservatory which is one of the top music schools in the world because it's in paris and it says conservatory on it, which is not only part of the clue board, but worth very much in Scrabble. And <laughs> he takes composition lessons, and he's a star student, but he's always falling just short. Specifically, he applies for um, – he he tries for a prize called the Prix de Rome, which was, by all accounts, the biggest composition prize in the world. Uh, it was the best picture of the composition world and it, essentially what it was was you submitted scores that you'd written you had extemporaneous writing to do so like they would give you a prompt and you'd have to do a timed writing but it was music which
0: Whoa. oh my god jesus christ y-
2: yeah that's um, intense and i can't,
0: i did i did extemporaneous speaking for competitions in high school and that was hard i can't mm-hmm. imagine if it had to have a like a melody
2: yeah not only a melody because the thing that, that that trips up Berlioz is the part of the contest where you have to write a fugue. Now, if you don't know what a fugue is, a fugue is multiple lines independent all at the same time. Usually three or four um, where you have an idea and you play that idea. And then you play that idea in a different voice while something else goes on in the first voice. And then in a different voice while something else goes on in one and two. And it turns into this um, contrapuntal morass. Without without an e in the middle, more um, ass,
0: more ass.
2: It turns into a a, a <laughs> contrapuntal, just sort of a mass of sound that all every single note has to work together and also work as its own independent line. And it's one of the hardest things to do as a composer, huh. um, because you have to be so cognizant in in three dimensions, like and organized cacophant. because it's it yes um. The, the master of the fugue was, was Johann Sebastian Bach. If you've never listened to any of his fugues, you have homework. Um, because cool. Carl Sagan, apocryphally, was asked to put one of Bach's fugues on the Voyager Golden Record and said that would just be showing off. Yeah. But the fugue screws Berlioz because it's hard. I'm sure he did a lovely job. I didn't see it. I haven't heard it. Probably he ripped it up in anger. That's kind of the man he was. He gets into the conservatory, and that's a big deal, but he doesn't care because he missed out on this big prize. And the biggest part of the prize, of course, is the, the bragging rights. Yes, you get a, a nice fat check, but the biggest part of the prize is, is saying you won the prize. And it's, it pisses him off, and it, it informs the next ten years of his, of his work because he's got a chip on his shoulder. But this is Paris. It's the center of arts and culture in, in Europe – And he goes to see Shakespeare one night in 1827. Well, not Shakespeare. Shakespeare's been dead for 200 years. He goes to see someone perform the work of Shakespeare in 1827. He goes to see Hamlet. And on stage is a world-renowned actor named Harriet Smithson, who's playing Ophelia. Spoilers, she's going to die. She was... Spoiler alert, (laughs) Jesus. Sorry, it's only been out for 419 years or so. I was going to watch it, like... Just
0: kidding. I was waiting for 420.
2: <laughs> Harriet Smithson is an is an Irish actress, and she's playing Ophelia, and she's widely considered. She is considered to be maybe one of the most important actresses of her day. And I'm sorry, I don't remember exactly why, but it had to do with opening up avenues for actors. The thing is, Berlioz speaks French. Shakespeare. Spoilers. Uh, spoke almost exclusively English and wrote in exclusively English. And the play was performed in exclusively English. And Berlioz did not understand a goddamn word of English. That makes sense. He did not speak English. But he sees Harriet Smithson on stage playing Ophelia, playing a character, and he falls madly in love with her. Like, like sixth grader seeing his French teacher for the first time falls madly in love with her. I didn't have a French teacher in sixth grade. Please don't say anything. And I'm so thinking,
0: he... I'm, I, have a, I have a very specific teacher I had an enormous crush on. Yeah, so. Oh, I I'm did fixed. too, and it was not um, French.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep. Everyone, everyone has that. Well, he falls head over heels. He is obsessed in the worst way. Like, white man on the internet. Worst way.
0: Oh, no. Yeah,
2: except they didn't have the internet. So, instead of sliding into her DMs, he writes her love letters for months. Exactly oh, cool. zero of them, exactly zero of them get an answer. Partly oh. because she doesn't speak feckin' French. <laughs> <laughs> so he's writing her these these passionate love letters in French. Oh my god. And she's going
0: and I just
2: What the fuck is this shit? What... <laughs> I don't speak that this goddamn bastard. Just... All I can understand is I just
0: this... imagine I just imagine going what's this? Meld. I don't understand a goddamn word of this. It it seems nice. Okay.
1: <laughs> something ab- Th- thank something you? Something ab- something about J J thank Tame? You? J Tame? I don't know a J Tame.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, because <laughs> she's working as a Shakespearean actress, Harriet Smithson is living in Paris. And he gets an apartment that overlooks her route home. Yikes! Yikes. No. Yeah. No. yeah! Yikes! Yeah. Nope! Don't At do least not. for a while, <laughs> gentlemen of the podcast. Uh, no. Yeah, you're on nice, the bud. If you if you have to if you have to be told this, um, just stop interacting with not, humans. Yeah. yeah. If if you're
1: taking notes right now, put the notebook down, and just go to sleep. Take a nap. Mm-hmm.
2: Think for about your two life. Two or three years. Yeah. Well. The tipping point comes when a scandal breaks. She's been sleeping with her manager. It's Paris, of course. She's been sleeping with her manager. Well, yeah, that's. Do you have any? Do you have any French people who listen? French people from the eighteen hundreds. Also,
0: just like you know, like, hey, girl, be a slut. Do it. Yeah, absolutely. Have a great time. You're perform. Yeah, have a good time. You're freaky ass little theater kid.
2: It is a scandal because, of course, it affects how it affects the professionalism. That's the pen and the company ink, and so on and so forth. It is a conflict of interest. It's definitely conflict of interest. So this is a, about 1828. The scandal breaks. She's been sleeping room with the manager. And of course, Berlioz, being the Keith of the situation, <laughs> says, she's cheating on me. Naturally. Oh my God. Yes. Again, oh my she has God. never spoken a word to you. They do not meet until 1829. So you didn't, Sean, you did he not tell been... us that Berlioz was an incel, all right? I did. I said that.
0: He mentioned it. He mentioned incels. Oh, he oh, I just god. didn't know that the guy who wrote the thing was an incel. Oh
2: yeah. Oh yeah. No. No. This didn't is this is a full on musical incel manifesto that happens to also be great. No. Wild. It's it's fucked up. Let's be clear. Wild. No part of this is worth the incel manifesto nature of it. The music is awesome, <laughs> but that's it. He um, he blew, he blew me, so hard.
1: He did he something so
2: hard that he wrote fifty <laughs> minutes of music. Oh my god. Have you ever been so sexually frustrated that you used up an entire notebook on sheet music?
0: Not on sheet music.
2: <laughs> he, oh, Lord. So he, he goes, oh, God, she's cheating on me. I'm so angry I'm going to start composing. Like you do. And he starts writing. that. Like He immediately begins writing his symphony. This will become important in a moment. They do finally meet in 1829, and by all accounts, she still didn't speak English. I'm sorry, she still didn't speak French, and he still didn't speak English. So it was essentially just... <laughs> Je enjoyed vuur performance. (laughs) Um, At this point, she's playing Juliet. She has a habit of dying, I guess. (laughs) Which, knowing Berlioz, probably got him off. It takes him about a year and a half to write the symphony, which is honestly good time. If you don't know, writing music, especially if you're orchestrating for a large group, is slow work. My goal is usually 10 to 20 seconds of music per day. So, Fifty minutes. That's three hundred days. It's a it's a long process. Um, and he he wrote it probably very high. He probably got high regularly, and that will become apparent okay. shortly. But that, he required but if you are
0: gonna write anything, if you are gonna write anything, you gotta do that. Yeah,
2: that's see, that, maybe how that's I my write problem. The other
0: show we have,
2: maybe that's my problem. I don't, that's I don't write high. The
1: the writing juice is stored in the weed and or opium. Is what's going on.
0: The writing juice is is stored in my vape. Yeah.
2: Berlioz premieres his symphony, and he requires. Now, again, Berlioz is not a big deal. This is not like the writer on the Van Halen concert set. This is just a dude who's writing music and got it performed once. And he says, every performance must have my program notes. He probably said it in French. The accent's the best I can do. And so your program would have the name of the symphony and this sort of paragraph after the title of each movement to say, this is what's happening here, man. Now, the symphony itself, I do think, incel notwithstanding, is a work of musical genius. And if you've never listened to it, you really 100% should. Uh, Berlioz was a phenomenal composer and a phenomenal orchestrator. Um, His Damnation of Faust is also brilliant, um, although I think he also failed to see some of the issues he he, he himself had. The symphony normally has four movements. Berlioz's symphony has five. This was not unheard of. There had been a couple of five-movement symphonies. There probably were two or three movements at times. But even so, it's notable because it wasn't normal. The first movement is is called "Dreams and Passions," and it's basically where Berlioz sets up all of the information that happens throughout the, rest of the um, throughout the rest of the symphony. It, the first movement of a symphony is traditionally a form called sonata form, which essentially is where you lay out some information, you take it apart and play with it and put it back together in, in other ways, and then you return to you, you put it back together the way it was. So you take themes. You usually have two or three themes, you, 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 you explicate them, and then you have a section in the middle where you you turn them into anything you can, and it still needs to be recognizable that, hey, that's a bit of that theme, but it doesn't need to follow all of the rules that you followed before. You change keys, you change uh, tonal centers, you hop back and forth between them, and then it recapitulates into the, the previous section with very few variations. Well, the, this movement is essentially that. It essentially works that way. It's a pretty bog standard sonata form. It's not negative. It's just there. But it has some very important elements to the rest of the symphony. It begins with about a five-minute theme. Now, um, that's long. That's a, a theme that is, yeah. that is almost as long as Won't Get Fooled Again by the Who. That's just <laughs> one theme. And... This is the theme of a tortured artist who struggles to be heard and understood because Berlioz with nothing, if not subtle. <laughs> Suddenly, something he calls an ide fixe, a fixed idea, arrives. And the ide fixe is the, the, one, the beautiful, wonderful woman who he sees across a room. He's in love. Now, idée fixe um, is almost only ever used to refer to this symphony. If you've ever heard of a leitmotif, L-E-I-T-M-O-T-I-F, uh, that's what this is, it, um, a, a leitmotif, which is usually applied to Wagner and after, um, but I'm pretty sure Berlioz didn't speak German.
0: It's interesting that he, on some level he knew that he was in love with the idea of her and couldn't possibly be in love with her. Again,
2: stunning lack of self-awareness.
0: Yeah. yeah it, I mean, it
1: would not be the first time I've seen, seen someone like that. I've gotten some great advice from people who should have taken that exact same advice. So.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, I think we all have. So there's these two ideas. There's the artist theme, which is very prominent in the first movement and will get less and less prominent. And there's the the beloved theme. Um he just refers to her as the beloved because it's definitely not Harriet Smithson. Why would you even ask? And throughout <laughs> the rest Henson. of the movement, these two themes Yeah. Exactly. Precisely. Marriott Hexon. Kip Hackman. The two themes. Dance around each other. They chase each other, in largely the same way that Hector Berlioz has been chasing his his beloved Harriet, who still doesn't speak French. <laughs>
0: this, this poor woman. <laughs>
2: she, there is just a random French dude who's very, very passionate about her, and she can't she can't get away from him. It's right. a fairly standard opening movement to a symphony.
0: He is he was Pepe Le Pew.
2: He was absolutely Pepi Le Pew. Yeah, and I was but not say, as like... fuzzy probably. Yeah, probably not as fuzzy.
1: I was going to say, it's it's so... It's it's baffling to think about, like... It, I it, What should, what must she have thought this person wanted from her, I guess?
2: I, I would I, I love to find out. <laughs> I would love to find out. Because I do speak English, and I would be able to speak to her. Oh, yeah. Like a girl. How was that for you? What the fuck? <laughs> the first movement ends with the artist it ends with a, what we call a plagal cadence in the strings. A plagal cadence is more colloquially known as the Amen cadence. It ends with this this struggling, tortured artist who's in love going to a church to pray away the horn. Got it. As we all <laughs> And I am not day. making this up. I am not making this up. It it ends with him going, God, make my dicks off. Jesus, please take my cameras away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Let me let me try that again. Uh, Giselle, because, uh, please stick away back. <laughs> because it's very clear to him, not Berlioz, the character. It's very clear to him that she's not into it. And he needs to move on. He needs to find peace. And just the next two movements are about him out, trying to dude. find peace. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I thought Jesus. the prince basically invented that.
0: Just take care of things. Right. Calm down. Yeah.
1: I, I'm pretty sure, like, also, I think prostitution was legal at this point also. So, like, find, find yourself France, a nice... And it was France, again. It was France, yeah. Find yourself a nice lady.
2: They sing up against the wall. It, it, what?
0: Yes, ac- according to the documentaries oh, yeah. I've seen.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. They sing up against the wall, and and um, Anne oh, Hathaway yeah. is one of them. Got it, got it. I'm there. Yes. I'm there now. Yeah, the documentary. And, like, let's be honest. You could do worse.
0: But, yeah, so he's, he's praying. He said, Jesus, please take my bonheur
2: away. And it does not work. Oh no. The second the second movement is set at a party. In ball. It's a waltz. It's a it's a the second or third movement of a symphony was usually a a triple meter piece. Just something that is a little bit lighter and livelier. Um and so it's a waltz. It is the first ever symphony movement to use harp. Um oh. no one had ever used a harp in a symphony because Harps were reserved for exactly the kind of, of chamber party that he's trying to depict. So there's a party, uh, there's a harp, oh, it's a waltz, it was, dancing. It was, it was yeah.
0: thematic.
2: It was entirely thematic. Interesting. It, it would be like having a symphony now that used the actual sound of roaring fire to communicate warmth. Um, don't do that on stage at your local uh, concert hall. Pyrotechnics! Hell yeah! Yeah! That's not until we get to Tchaikovsky. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, this dude goes to a party. He's trying to get her out of his head. Just like Romeo did when he went to that party. It doesn't work. There's not a whole lot to say except that it's a really well-written waltz, and this theme, this idea that he that he creates, is suddenly becomes interwoven with the beloved idea, the beloved theme. Because he can't get out of his head, she begins to inform his every waking thought.
0: Healthy. Totally healthy.
2: As I was going to say, as is good in any healthy relationship.
0: Love it. Yeah, imagine me me with two partners. (laughs) I can't get anything done.
2: I make sure of that. I I try not to imagine. (laughs) (laughs) So the third movement, he does much the same, except he doesn't go to a party. He goes out to the country. He's going to clear his head by going and hanging out. In the open fields, this is one of the best depictions of a pastoral scene in in instrumental music to date. It is it uses a traditional shepherd's tune, the the style of a traditional shepherd's tune. He didn't take the tune; he wrote the way the tune is written, called a Rons de Vache, which I believe means dance of the cows. But it's a it was a real French style of music that would be played from um from hill to hill that were basically just like. Shepherds on, on neighboring hills communing with one another while they're not able to actually hang out together. Um they would have, you know, like an alpine horn or something. Quick terminology question. What is a pastoral scene? Uh a scene a scene of the country, a scene of, of um usually of shepherding. Pa-
0: yeah. Um, pastoral is just indicative of countryside sort it. of okay. agricultural lifestyle.
2: Got it. Usually used Usually used positively. Um it's not it's not Hicksville, it's rustic. Okay, okay.
0: Yeah, and like as far, cause one of my big interests is visual art from that same era and visual art in that same time very much romanticized pastoral scenes. Got it. you can see that in a lot of landscapes and stuff too.
2: A quaint village in the middle of a, a field or something. Yes. Oh. yes. Even even yes, without the exactly village. Maybe that. a village in the distance. Oh, that's very
0: um, and ma- just maybe a single person with two ox in a field and you see a bunch of trees.
2: Cool.
0: It was there was kind of this mood. The Welsh that threesome people... as they call
2: it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to any of our Welsh <laughs> listeners. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but there was there is this feeling at the time of um, if we could just return to that to that simplicity. So it's interesting here that There's at the same a... time it was also going on in music.
2: There's a lot of nostalgia in romanticism, both earned and unearned. And every time neo romanticism springs up, there is some more nostalgia. Um, and it 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 pops up, I don't know, about every forty years. Someone's like, You remember the good old days? Except less country? Some of some of the Beatles music was was very romantic in its sensibility. When I'm sixty four, for example, is is very, very romantic. Uh, capital R. It's also lowercase R, romantic, but that's not important right now.
0: No, I feel like the entire cottage court idea. Yes, is yes, very much a modern version of that.
2: Berlioz has this has this this tune, the Rons de Vache, played on the English horn, which is not from England, and he has an oboe player backstage or off stage rather, and so you actually literally get a distance feeling as they play back and forth this this shepherd's tune. I don't know whether it was the first one to do that in what we would consider the common practice period, which would be 1600 to now, but it was certainly one of the earliest um, big big deals. I remember the first symphony I saw the premiere of had a marching band among the audience, and that wouldn't have happened ever if it hadn't been for... Uh, Berlioz's uh, Ronsard, the the concept of this is he's done a very good job getting her out of his head. The country is working, man, because as Brienne says, the Romantics were right. All you needed to do was get down to the seaside for some vapors. That's no, right. for the vapors, <laughs> whatever, touch some grass until all of a sudden there she is in his mind. Oh no! Yeah, you know how suddenly you're you're good. You haven't thought of it again until damn it, you just thought. You like have that thought, and wow, it's not I haven't just...
1: thought about XYZ in forever. Fuck.
2: Uh-huh. Fuck. I just lost the game.
0: Boner's back. Sorry, farmers. <laughs> Gotta go.
2: <laughs> well, no, the boner is not back. The boner is not back. Oh. Because the thought he has is not, <laughs> I love her. The thought he has is what if she was to cheat on me? What? Bear in mind, they are they are not together. They have never met. They are not together, these two characters. And his immediate thought is what if she were to cheat on me? That would kill me. He and, jumped and so the shark, this Ede- the pond, and the whole ocean. Oh, 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 very much. Oh, oh, very much. Yeah. Yeah, Arthur Fonzarelli could not have made this jump. So it's not just the beloved idea. It's the beloved idea, the beloved theme with uh, turmoil, with fear and anger. And the movement ends. It's, a, it's this really beautiful pastoral scene, and it ends with a, thunder, with a thunderstorm coming in timpani roll you can hear the the clouds the the thunder rolling and it fades out almost and it's a very very soft ending and it's like it there's some there's some foreboding but generally it's very peaceful until the bonus back <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> no now we get to drugs
1: hell yeah oh. even
2: better in the program notes Berlioz says, okay, so he, he despairs. He's never going to meet her. He's never going to win her love. So he takes a lethal dose of opium, but he's not good at taking Dramatic. a lethal dose of opium. He takes a bunch of opium, but it's not enough to kill him. Instead, he trips balls. Cool, sweet. Um, you know how when you trip balls, it's very, very specific and not at all just a bunch of uh, of unconnected images that make sense in your brain? Well, yeah, I've never tripped, but I imagine it's not like that.
0: Yeah, no. Mine is that I get, uh, freaked out watching Great British Bake Off because I can feel their emotions while they wait for Paul Hollywood to tell them whether or not their cake was good, and I'm just like, this is the longest it's no, ever I, taken to taste a piece of cake. Please, you're killing them. So,
2: so I don't, I do not partake in in any of the drugs except for Lexapro, <laughs> but I cannot imagine watching British Bake Off High, like I, I, of any variety. I feel like that would just be so stressful. As much as I love that show, I would probably jump out the window. I, and no, that's also, how I knew.
0: It, I was gonna say that's how I knew it kicked in. I had to turn it
2: off.
1: And also, I'm cool and do do drugs too. <laughs>
2: I'm I'm in no way cool enough to do drugs. Uh, not, not me. I'm cool. I'm cool. I do all I do drugs a lot.
0: I am not cool, and I find a few of them fun. So he trip balls. Didn't watch Bake Off.
2: Be, being broke is my anti-drug. He trips balls. Instead of just seeing a bunch of fancy colors, he imagines that in a fit of rage, he has murdered his beloved.
0: Totally again, we making some totally, big
2: leaps here. Totally, totally normal
0: and cool and not concerning.
2: And again, this is not Hector Berlioz. This is a <laughs> character he has created that is named Vector Herlios or something.
0: Definitely um, not. Definitely not him. And in the podcast that I write... I definitely, before Violet was my girlfriend, did not decide she needed to play my girlfriend because I had yeah, any gay totally. feelings.
2: Yeah, totally. If there's yeah. one thing yeah, I just, know about writers. Art never <laughs> imitates life.
0: Art never yeah. imitates life, that's for sure. Yeah.
2: And writers
1: never write about their own life experiences, whether they mean to or not. Never, ever. That never yeah,
2: happened. Ever,
0: ever, it's ever, not, ever, ever.
2: It's not That's not writing, it's just being a documentary. Or a documentarian, so, yeah. if you So,
0: of. he went full 4chan.
2: Um, mm-hmm. Full 4chan. That he has murdered the beloved. If I can't have her, nobody can have her. And now he's being led to the guillotine for her murder.
1: And May I remind everyone, this is a woman he has never had a conversation he with. He has never met.
2: He's never had a conversation with. He quite with. No. literally, he no. quite he literally has...
0: can't have a conversation with her, <laughs> which is the most Okay, we're speaking of the character.
2: <laughs> I have to give a side note here, because I'd forgotten about this and I put it in my notes. Before he finished the symphony, Berlioz got married to a woman who was not Harriet. Married? I'm sorry, no, he got engaged. He got he got engaged. He didn't he didn't get he didn't get married. I'm sorry. This is important. To a woman named Camille Meek. They were engaged, but she broke off the engagement because it turns out she was hooking up with somebody else.
1: Oh. So,
2: and this is real. So, Berlioz, the person not the character, bought pistols, poison, and a disguise to go murder-suicide the two of them and her mom. Totally but the drive cool. was so. The, but he didn't do it because the drive was so long that he went, oh, fuck it. Oh my god! I bet so you didn't remember, think this is a geo- true crime podcast.
0: Geographically inconvenient crime. No, it wasn't a crime. crime. It was Just
2: thinking. Yeah, yeah. Well, geographically inconvenient crime. Coming not soon. A legal crime. from my, from my band. <laughs> a Crime of yeah, the So of the maybe mind and the heart, maybe the fourth movement might have warranted a little bit of FBI surveillance, because, yeah. like, this is not. It, you, you want to talk about art and imitating life. This is like something he had a plan for. Why do you need to dis- to be disguised to go commit a murder suicide? I don't know, but that's not important right now.
0: He did an o j action, Simpson he said better. I didn't do it, but if I had done it, this is how but it would if do I
2: it. did yeah, <laughs> right. You will notice that her mom is still alive. please, I would like the record to reflect that so the the action of the of the symphony actually picks up after the purported murder again. This is a character dreaming on on acid that he has murdered her. And he's being led to the guillotine. There are a lot of really evocative effects. You can hear the march, literal march to the scaffold. You can hear the crowd cheer as he's being led up the guillotine because this is France in the 1800s and that was like the national pastime. At the very last minute, he hears the first two or three notes of the beloved theme as he goes, My lord. And then suddenly, you hear the guillotine slice his head off, wow, and his head bounced down the stairs. It's a—it's it, such a cool movement, that's um, a cool because idea. it is—it is so cool because the tone painting is there. It does it audibly. The last thing that happens is, boom, 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 as the head bounces down the steps. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. That's neat. It's so cool. It's so cool. Uh, again, putting aside the fact that it was born out of the. Most successful incel ever born because Elon Musk's story is not finished. And we all hope, we all have hope that the man will be ruined. Now, as I said earlier, most symphonies are four movements long, which means that this is the end, but it's not. Now, they, it wasn't a surprise. It wasn't like they went, wait a minute, he didn't say there was going to be a fifth movement, but- It wasn't
0: like the after credit get scene a s- in a Marvel movie.
2: Right, right, right. No, it's not like the after credit scene. It's, it's more like when you get to what you think is the end of the movie and you realize there's still half an hour of movie left.
0: Mm-hmm. Right.
2: You go, "Oh, I thought they got the bad guy." I guess they didn't, because now he awakens in his grave.
0: What? Okay. He awakens in
2: his grave. Mm-hmm. This was not the first five movement symphony, but you've like the life is over. Again, guys ha- suffering ego death here. The life is over. The symphony ought to be over. No, he awakens in his grave. He's being revived by a bunch of witches.
1: Cool. Now France
2: was very Catholic at the time. I don't actually know about the Catholicism of France of the day, but definitely of, of right now. But definitely in the 1830s, France is real freaking Catholic. They they even like built the Cathedral of Notre Dame to show how Catholic they were.
0: That's pretty but, Catholic. Pretty Catholic. Best yeah,
2: Catholic just just to make the Hunchback movie happen.
1: Disney's roots go back so far.
0: Thank you.
2: Yeah, so far. Yeah, Walt had had fingers in every pie, figuratively.
0: Well, it birthed one of my first bisexual awakenings of Esmeralda, so.
2: Yeah, same. Real? Well, not bisexual.
0: Yeah, but. yeah.
2: Nah, see, I- but, uh,
0: still little, still little, little, little baby me was like, I just think she's neat.
2: <laughs> I still hate that movie. It's better than the novel, but that's not,
0: not a gu- Not a good movie, but my little gay ass was like, I think oh, she's Oh, no, neat. get it.
2: I get it. And it's never really clear why the witches are reviving him. It may be because they're witches and they're evil and <laughs> it's for the lulz. Hey, as a it could be to make. Ethel, I heard this is the greatest insult to ever live. Let's revive his ass. Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's revive his ass. Maybe they're guiding him to hell. I don't. I don't know.
1: <laughs> Let's revive his ass and stomp on his ball. But...
2: <laughs> 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 that must be it. That must be it. That is now. That is now head oh. for this. For this symphony is that they're going to step on his I balls. Love I love it. And that's the whole movement is they step on his balls for ten minutes and that's all. <laughs> no, the. <laughs> The witches revive him, and you hear the round dance of the witches. It's a very profane, and when I talk about transgressiveness in this music, you have to understand it's transgressive for 1830. But I
0: like to imagine, I just, I'm hearing in my head that the witches are singing Peaches, and they're just going, sucking <laughs> yes, on my yes. titties call like them, you wanted call me, calling yes, me all the absolutely. time. absolutely.
2: <laughs> a clarinet solo breaks in. One of the most famous classical clarinet solos of all time. And it's the beloved theme, and it's no longer this beautiful, moving lyrical idea. It's in the same style as this witch's dance. She's one of the witches. She's the head witch. <laughs> this cheating whore that he killed is actually oh a witch. My God. Yeah, yeah. Oh
0: Jesus Christ.
2: Has nothing to do with this movement. No. Of course. Then the big deal is. So one, yes, he's made this woman, this this woman character, and I, I I'm being very specific about this because there's more to the story after the symphony ends. He's made this woman character into a witch. The head witch. The sand witch. And <laughs> and she is leading the infernal orgy, not in the fun way, and then the diaz E-Ray plays. Now again, France is super Catholic. You have just played one of the funeral rites for the dead up against this profane dance. This would have been very transgressive at the time. It wasn't as transgressive as, say, the Rite of Spring, where there were reportedly riots in the theater on the premiere night. Or WAP. But it would absolutely have offended the French sensibilities at the time. Not enough to get Hector Berlioz guillotined, although maybe it might have been a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. But then it ends with a fugue. That same thing that fucked Berlioz over in the first place He gives a great big up yours to the committee that he views as having rejected him by going, look at what I did. I wrote one that was better than the one I did before. And I'm sure the committee was like, yes, very good.
0: Why do you have so many guns, Hector?
2: Yeah, why are you carrying around (laughs) guns
1: and poison and you have a fake mustache on?
2: Yeah, um, I did not find any information on what that disguise was, but I do like to imagine it was just Groucho Marx. The 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 symphony ends with this witch's dance and the Diaz-Ire playing at the same time, essentially with this artist's life having gone to hell, figuratively and literally. It is almost universally hailed as a work of genius, which is what Berlioz wants. He wants to be well-known. He wants to be a genius. This is his manifesto, for lack of a better term. And I think it is a work of musical genius, even if the guy who wrote it was insane. He was just the worst kind of person. But he writes a symphony for this woman, Harriet Smithson. Remember her? She still doesn't speak French. And he inv- he he sends her... Plot he twist. has his people get in touch with her people. He has his people get in touch with her people, and he says, Have her come to the symphony. And she doesn't. <laughs> fuck yeah. I love this bitch. Suck
0: a fuck, Hector.
2: <laughs> She's invited to the premiere in 1830, and she won't hear it for another two years. And he's written this symphony partly because he's pissed off at her for cheating on him. They've never met. Actually, that's true. That's not true. They have met now. They've just never spoken to each other. But as far as I know, other. they could not communicate. They've just never spoken meaningfully to each other. Right. He writes her. He writes it partly to be angry with her, but also to say, I made this for you. Do you love me? now?" Because what says I love you, like I dreamed of murdering <laughs> you and then, and then having you resurrect me to stomp on my balls. To stomp on my balls. <laughs> exactly. She doesn't show up to the premiere. She doesn't hear. It. He keeps, you know, at the time symphonies would get toured around, and you you hear it a couple of times a year, um, as the composer would try to get booked, same as any other band, except it was just one dude, and he would hire a bunch of musicians. In 1832, she finally shows up to a performance, and Berlioz is there, and he's like, "I'm getting late tonight. I
0: am rock hard right now."
2: It's just. <laughs> I could punch my fucked. I'm about to write another symphony right here. All by myself. Probably midway through the third movement, Smithson realizes it's about her. Midway through the third, probably the fourth movement.
0: Oh, just Smithson God. realizes it's
2: about her. Yeah. Oh. Brianne's getting Brianne's getting the cringe.
0: Oh no, I so can't after the I can't sta- f- after
2: the show. Fucking oh, no. imagine. Oh no. Oh. After the show, she comes to him I don't know if there's a translator if she's learned a couple of words of French like, quoi la fuck? Um, but she comes to him and says Is that, a, is that about me? And he goes Yeah. <laughs> will you marry Do me? Do you like it? <laughs> he, he says, will you marry me? Oh my god. Now, of course, courtship and marriage was a little bit different 200 years ago in the sense that you did get that a little bit quicker, but that's still a little
0: fast. It's a little fast. That's a little fast. And wow. Violet moved in with us after less than a year.
1: Yeah, yeah. Granted,
2: lesbian, I have that right. Uh, yes, he has yes. no such to say. That's fast coming from two people in a, in a lesbian relationship. She says no, because what? It turns out she's not an idiot. Yeah. He pulls out a bottle of laudanum. Now, if you don't know what laudanum is, uh, it's not good for the human body. Uh, it's it's a deadly, deadly poison. And he drinks it. He's like, well, oh. <laughs> how about now, bitch?
0: Definitely not. She goes,
2: oh, God, if it will. it No, no. She goes, oh, God, if it's going to keep someone's blood off my hands, fine, I'll marry you. And he pulls in, goes into another pocket, pulls out the antidote and drinks it.
0: See, really that's, where Harry and and that's where Harriet and I are different. That's oh, where Harriet and I are different. I would have been yeah. like, Okay, oh, yeah, weirdo. I didn't do this.
2: Don't fall on me, man. No.
0: I would have been like here.
2: I would have been like, ooh, that sucks, bro. I'm I'm gonna go get some You should
0: get that checked out. Gonna, I have to go.
2: Yeah. I'm gonna guess that he had learned some English. Um, because ironically enough, English was more of a common lingua franca. Because he was able to at least communicate this much to her. So she hastily says yes. He, he produces the antidote from his pocket, and he goes, hey, never mind, I'm good. Probably gonna have a little tummy ache later, but I'm good. I'm so I'm a, thinking June. Probably
0: gonna have a six movement here in a little bit, But
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'll see you after I get out of the bathroom. <laughs> and before I get out of the bathroom as well. Before I go back into the bathroom. There is one bright spot in this story. In the story of Incel Gets the Girl. Their marriage sucks. Oh, like shot. it sucks! I never could have seen that coming.
0: Yeah.
2: Well, it sucks for Berlioz too. Good. Smithson was um, Smithson Harriet Smithson's career was mostly over because she had gotten old. She was like thirty. Gross. Shut the fuck um. Up. <laughs> well, like. Even more so at the in that day and age than today, and that's saying something. Leonardo DiCaprio, um, <laughs> she wasn't being sought for parts. Excuse me.
0: I'm thinking of that that fake Snapchat for Pink, like, oh no, don't turn 25, you're so pretty.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm 31. I never get sought for sought for my parts
2: anymore. I'm 33. I'm practically dead.
1: Oh no, you, you're you're a guy. So she'd
2: she'd reached the ripe old age of. Th- Oh, that's true. That's true. Turns out she had realized that she was pretty much at the end of her career and Berlioz's star was on the rise. So she basically just got married to him for his cash, which, you know, go girl. Yeah. Um. And Berlioz realizes this, and they're only married like six years.
0: That's still like, a that's long time. That's a long time for someone who's stalked <laughs> you. Yeah.
2: Okay, only but, six years? But imagine, but Catholic. True. True. That's like okay, okay. one one-hundredth of what they're supposed to be married. In Catholic um, time, that's like... Yeah, in Catholic time, that's like a month. That's a full-on Britney Spears. And, oh, also she still didn't speak French. How were they communicating? That was part of the problem with their relationship. Yeah, not Fucking well. God. Berlioz did get some, you know, success at first. Like, he wrote some really amazing stuff. The Damnation of Faust it was... A flop when it came out, but it. it, I think it is a fantastic piece of music. He got married three or four times after that, and uh, died penniless.
0: (laughs) All right, couldn't happen to a better dude.
2: Yeah, I mean, so couldn't happen to a better dude. Can Um, I just say, if you
1: are the second person this motherfucker is marrying, how are you not like? Right, where's my symphony, dude? Where's my symphony, motherfucker? Also, how do you not
0: hear his symphony and go? Oh, you the murder.
2: Oh, he's crazy crazy. The murder. Yeah. 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 Oh, this is a normal oh, symphony yeah, that a human person would write
0: that isn't crazy.
2: The the poison, the poison for your ex's mom, the poison chosen specifically yes. to kill your ex's yeah, mom. Yeah, yeah. Your ex's mom's poison. That poison?
0: That is wild.
2: Oh, uh, and I did not mention I did not mention that he did only ever refer to his ex's mom as the hippopotamus. What? Which isn't really relevant, but I thought it was at least funny. That's wild. I kind of love that.
0: Yeah, that's a... Uh, it's nice to know that people have been hating their mother-in-laws for...
2: Oh, yeah. No, it was full-on boomer humor. Forever.
0: Yeah.
2: Wow. <laughs> no, um, Berlioz... So, uh, in the great debate, for lack of a better term, the great struggle between great art, terrible person, Berlioz is not the front and center person but he's standing very close behind okay. Wagner, like creepy close, like yeah. can touch him with his dick. Wait, what did, what did Wagner do? Um, and, and Wagner was a raging anti-Semite. Yee. Like Hit- Hitler didn't only love Wagner because he had good taste in music. Oh, no. Hitler also loved Wagner because he had very bad taste in people. I should
1: brush up on my history.
2: <laughs> so yeah,
0: like yeah. people who um, like Kevin Sorbo now.
2: Yeah, people like the dude who was just sentenced to 17 years yes. in prison. Yes, which. I've got to be honest, that's the weirdest boner I've ever had in a discount tire. But, <laughs> of the many. Not,
0: not mine. <laughs> uh.
2: But Berlioz really was a a, a musical... I, I I struggled to come up with something besides genius. He, he was an, a phenomenal composer and a phenomenal orchestrator. It's just a shame that he had to counterpose that with... Being uh, an
0: equally terrible being human
2: just, being. An equally terrible person, yes. Um, And probably exacerbated by the fact that he lived in a day, age, and place where that sort of behavior was normalized. Yeah, like— Which does not excuse, but it certainly is why he didn't get shot.
0: Yeah, and there are even, like—you had me thinking about the trope of, like, harassing and following the girl you've never spoken to. And like that carries into pretty yeah. much every teen eighties movie that oh, stars yeah. a, a a boy, um, like
2: oh, absolutely. I think the one I that was... bothers
0: me the most is like uh, Encino Man, is what I'm thinking of. Like, there's that theme of that too.
2: I often find my thoughts drifting to Encino Man.
0: Listen, Brendan Fraser, <laughs> I'm thinking of movies I would, uh, no, I'm not rewatch, but yeah, no, like that behavior was accepted for. Another hundred years after, as normal, yeah. and considered romantic,
1: Th- things like Disney movies have conditioned us
2: as a society to think
1: that never giving up until the person you love loves you back
2: is romantic well, and I'll tell you that uh, as a as a person who was once a teenage boy, um that fucked up my ability to understand why things weren't working out for me i I figured it out. Hey, honey, you still like me, right? Yeah, she she likes me, so it's it's fine. Great job. Um, she's
0: good. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah,
2: yeah, she's good. Um, <sighs> well, Berlioz did write a sequel. Oh, oh god. my god. Um, he wrote a sequel. I, I it's not it is not the subject of this particular info dump because I've never actually heard it. Essentially, it's much less telling a story and more impressionistic. This is how I felt when Harriet Smithson rejected <laughs> me. Oh, she didn't speak it.
1: It's still about Harriet Smithson. Are you fucking this is, serious?
2: This is how I felt when that bitch cheated on me after we were engaged. This is how I felt when I saw Shakespeare for the first time with Harriet.
1: The next thing you're going to say
0: is I Look that, into um, my sick, twisted mind. He
1: came out with a
2: fashion Very line. much This so. is it's what, what I, I was wearing, wearing when Lelio. I saw Harry, Harriet for the first time. What the fuck and this one this one does have narration but uh, again i haven't heard it so i can't speak to it i do highly recommend uh, anyone who who likes music and can you know at least for a moment stop thinking about how creepy this fucking dude was not forget just stop thinking about find a recording there's um the recording by i want to say it's the vienna philharmonic and Leonard Bernstein is absolutely marvelous because Leonard Bernstein was possibly the greatest conductor who ever lived. It's about a fifty-minute symphony, so take an hour yeah. of your time. We've got a particularly long it. train ride. Bus Look ride. up the program notes. Look up the program notes. Figure it out. Mm-hmm.
0: Cool. Well, thank you, Sean. Um, I think if you find oh, a link to that, we can oh, put yeah. that in the notes that we give to uh, yeah. Thank you to so much, Patreon huh? subscribers. Yeah, so Sean will have notes for people on the Mixnomer Patreon about that, and thank you. Maybe we'll have to do a part two about the Symphony Fantastic part two. <laughs> the, I'll have to listen the to Revengeing, or whatever he named it.
2: Thanks for All taking right. a dump for us. I'm Thanks, Sean. Happy.
0: Thanks for coming to take a dump with us.
2: I'll I'll, I'll take a dump on your show any day.
0: it's me i'm back with the housekeeping the use you can check out what violet and i are doing on various places in the internet if you check out the show details also if you want to support the show by joining our patreon we have levels starting as low as a dollar a month where you get to be part of our discord server where we hang out and just have a good time um as i am recording this um it'll be it'll be hey happy holidays for you and merry christmas if you celebrate it the day I'm recording this, we're going to be having a little holiday party and playing Jackbox games with everyone in the Discord server later today. So if that sounds fun for you, go check out our our Patreon by clicking on the link in the show details. Also, at some higher levels on our Patreon tiers, you can get a shout out at certain levels, like our friends Randy Lovings, Rachel Rachelson, Sewing Seraph, B. Trossler, Kelly Brennan, Smurdy Singh, Helen Clifford, M. Mosin, and Lucy. Also, if you want to support the show but you can't do so monetarily, which I completely understand, the best way you can do about that is share the show with a friend. Share about us on social media, in that Facebook group you're in, in that Discord server you're in, on, you know, a subreddit you're in, somewhere, to tell other people about the show. Uh, Mixnomer is completely free of sponsored ads and advertisements. Um, We'll only promote shows or other people who we think are doing something cool. And we also don't pay to have ads on other shows, so we grow completely by word of mouth. So if you like the show and you like what we're doing and you want to support a bunch of weirdos making podcasts and other stuff so we can make more cool stuff, uh, the best way you can do that is just telling people about the show. If you would like some one-on-one support, um, peer support or coaching, and you are Audi HD, I also have my website and my contact info in the show details if you want to check out that. But yeah, I think that's about it for us, and we'll see you next year.